0: The following lecture was delivered at the 13th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Providence, Rhode Island. A project of the Roar Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy it, and we encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi Shalom Paltiel will now present his lecture, The Power of the Mind. Friends, the story is told of a couple True story. You go on that honeymoon. They plan this awesome honeymoon. A cabin somewhere in the forest away from everything in the middle of nature. It's gorgeous. Try to imagine yourself there, this quiet and the birds are chirping. You know what I mean? You're away from civilization. Seven day honeymoon. It's heaven on earth. The first morning at dawn, as they're trying to relax, suddenly a woodpecker lands on their roof and starts pecking away for like an hour and a half. They look at each other, all right. P.S., the next morning, the same geschäft. The next morning, again, every morning of the seven days, right at dawn, the woodpecker hacking in China, hacking cup, and they're looking at each other. Now, what would be most people's reaction? They ruined the whole honeymoon. This was our dream honeymoon away from reality. We're relaxing. It's quiet. There's no people. There's nothing. And every morning, the woodpecker hacked in China. Friends. The story really happened to a couple. You may have heard of Gracie and Walter Lance, yes? They looked at each other and they said, you know, there's got to be some lemonade here. By the time the seven days were over, they invented the cartoon character Woody Woodpecker. True story, Walter was the illustrator, Gracie was the voice. She was interviewed on her 50th wedding anniversary, and she said, looking back to that story, it's the best thing that ever happened to us. Friends, nothing says the power of optimism more than this story. They could have seen their vacation as a failure, and guess what? It would have been. They decided to see it as a success, and in fact it was. Martin Seligman, in his book Learned Optimism, he writes of a study that he was asked to do for Metropolitan Life Insurance to train their salesman if you're a salesman, you got you need positivity. You got to know how to take rejection, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they had a whole course of study. You have to pass certain tests, mostly intelligence tests, you know, aptitude, whatever. And uh, when they brought him in, he said, "What about optimism?" He said, "Optimism wasn't really on the test." She said, "I want to make a separate test for optimism. In fact, I want you to bring back many of the candidates who were rejected in the last roundoff because they didn't pass the intelligence aptitude test. Bring them back. Let them do the ap- the." the uh, optimism test and the ability to take rejection time and again and again while the others take the intelligence test they outsold them by 57% and he made the same point positivity works there's a fellow who lived in my community many years whose yardside incidentally his second yardside is this shabbat and uh, he was a sailor he had his own boats been around the world and he said to me once he said rabbi in life You gotta set your sails. It's so interesting that he's a man who suffered the one greatest, single greatest tragedy, lost a child. He said, and he remained positive till his last day, he said, you gotta set your sails. Which direction you wanna go. Don't leave it up to the winds. You set your sails, you're in charge. If life is like the sea, I'm the captain of my ship. The sails are my thoughts. I put my thoughts in the right direction, and I can avoid going south. I'm sure many of you have heard of the uh, film, the 2006 film, The Secret. Anybody? It was also a best-selling self-help book, and essentially made this point, thoughts become things. Friends, the Rebbe said it in his words, quoting sources that are millennia Prior to the 2006 publication, the Rebbe said it in those words, gut let sein gut. Think good, it will be good. Somehow you knew the secret. I must tell you that there are more than 20 volumes of the Rebbe's correspondence, Hebrew, some in English, and they're fascinating to flip through because the correspondence is from all types of people, Jews, Gentiles, doctors, rabbis, rebels, professors, government people, laymen, you name it. And there's advice and guidance on every area of life. People would write to the Rebbe for a problem and he would give them advice. But the one phrase that's in that series of books far more than any other is that very phrase, Trach gut vet sein gut. And it wasn't just about feeling good, make you feel good for a moment. Think good, it will be good. It's replete in those books. The Rebbe would quote the third Rebbe, his namesake, Tzemach who originally said that phrase. And he often, often also quoted Nachmanides, an 11th century Sage, who was the original of that thought, and in fact, it's also brought in the Zohar. Way before they discovered the secret in 2006, Jewish thinkers knew the secret. I want to say it one more time in case you're not familiar with the phrase, In our community, we give out bracelets at one of our dinner fundraising events. In English letters, tzvach, good, that's fine, good. And people walk around with it 10 years later. I got my bracelet. You gotta stay. Oh, you got it? Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. It's available, by the way. You can get it on the internet. If you're involved in a Chabad, suggest it for your rabbi for the next fundraiser. They'll love it because it's not expensive giveaway. And it keeps on giving. How many years ago did you get that? Wow. God bless. Thank you. But friends, I want to go a little further than just the secret. The Rebbe taught us the secret behind the secret. Why does positivity work? The Rebbe said generally two things. Number one, he quoted the Zohar, which says that heaven is a mirror image of us. We smile heavenward, heaven smiles back. Zohar, classic Kabbalah, second century in terms of its origin, uh, the author. And then the Rebbe said another reason. If I think positive, that means I trust God. If I trust him, that means I'm relying on him. He's got to come through. Like any good person, if I'm relying on you, you'll do whatever it takes not to let me down. Telling God, I trust you that you got my back. He won't let me down. If I'm good on my own, God says, all right, manage, kinderlech. Do your best if I sin or don't. I know it's going to be good because you've got my back. He won't let me down. Great Hasidic story of uh, the Tolner Rebbe, a Hasidic master of some 190 years ago. So there is a wealthy, arrogant, secular Jewish businessman traveling from Berlin, where he lived, to Krakow to do business. And he stops in an inn on the way. And uh, it's not a very fancy inn. It's not exactly his, you know, it's not the five star, but that's what's available. He walks in. It's run down, it's shabby, it's poor, the paint is peeling. But he says, what are you going to do? This is it. The innkeeper and his wife come out. They say, oh, you look like an important macher. We're going to give you the presidential suite. They take him in the back. There's a nicer room. There's no paint peeling. It's more comfortable, plush pillows, a little more money. He's very happy. Not 20 minutes pass. He's settling in. The innkeeper knocks on the door. His wife right behind him. He says, we, we don't know how to tell you this. We feel terrible, but we need to ask you a favor to move next door. Please, there's a holy man who just came, and he's very holy and special. We must give him this room. So we'll get the bellhop. We'll help you. We won't even charge you. You're on us. But please, do us this favor, and we're really sorry that are apologizing. And the guy is rolling his eyes. That's a holy man? Can you explain this to me? A holy man needs the presidential suite? But, he says, it's not a problem. I'll move. No problem. And he says, I'll even pay you for the other room. They move him over. And the holy man comes in to tell the Rebbe. And he overhears the conversation. They say, Rebbe, give us a blessing for success in children. We struggle and we have no children, and the Rebbe says, You want a blessing for success in children? You need to give me five hundred guilder to marry off the poor orphan bride. And the guy's thinking, This is a holy man, this is a charlatan. Five hundred. He needs the fancy room, the holy man, and now he needs five hundred guilder. These poor people, 500 Gilder, was, you know, a life savings of 30 years. It was it was a tremendous amount. 500 Gilder, and the poor woman says, Rebbe, you know, we love you, and your blessings are special and everything, but could, can we do something for a 100? <laughs> Nothing doing. do in 500. She tries to negotiate 150, 180. You want blessing for success in children? 500 Gilder, they... Innkeeper runs to the safe, he comes back, puts down the five hundred guilder. The Rebbe gives them a sincere, heartfelt blessing. Successive children retires to his room. Later that evening, the businessman notices the Rebbe takes a stroll. Comes out of his room, with an attendant walking behind him. I'm awful. Like he's a big shot, like he's important. And as he walks through the lobby of this hotel, he says to his he says loudly he said, this is some excuse for a hotel. Look at this place. It's run down. It's like a hole in the wall. This is not a hotel. It's such a tiny place. It should be bigger. One floor should be three, four stories. And it should be all over rooms. There should be people coming and going. We should have big stables for the noblemen, for the horses, big fields with picnicking and everything else and a stream of water. Come on. This is shabby. And the businessman is thinking, there you go again, Mr. Holy Man, with your fancy room and your 500 gilder. Now you're telling us, what are you, An architect? Go study some Torah. This guy's full of baloney. Fast forward 10 years later. Same Mr. Businessman's traveling from Berlin to Krakow. He says, guess what? I'm going to go check out that little Indian keeper. innkeeper was a nice person. Let me visit him and his wife. He comes by, but lo and behold, it's a whole new situation. Instead said, that little inn, it's gorgeous. Three, four floors. It's going this way. It's going that way. There's rooms up and down. There's a lobby. You ever heard Jackie Mason? A Jew goes on a vacation. If there's no lobby, it's not a vacation. There's a lobby, and there's trees, and there's water flowing, and there's picnic, and there's people, and there's rooms, and bellhops. Forget about it. Gorgeous. Wow. And the innkeeper runs out with his wife to greet him. You remember me? Of course I remember you. The seven kids in tow. He starts to cry. He realized every single thing came to fruition to the T. I owe that rabbi an apology. He couldn't sleep. He got up early in the morning. Traveled to Tolna to meet the Tolna Rebbe. And he went in and he said, Rebbe, Rebbe said, I know. Rebbies have good memories. I know. Don't feel bad. You, you, you were justified to think what you thought. What else are you supposed to think? Don't worry about it. It's all good. It's fine. You're wonderful. Go home. It's good. No apology necessary. He said, Rebbe, thank you. I feel much better. But can you just answer one question? Why did you need to take the 500 gilder? Why couldn't you just give them a blessing for free? And he said, I could have. But it wouldn't have worked. Because they were relying on the 500 gilder. They didn't need God's help. They knew that they had that 500 gilder in the safe, and that's going to take care of them in their old age. At the end of the day, that's their cushion. That's their God." They're good. They're not great, but they're good. Somehow I had to come and I knew that God had tremendous blessings in store for them. Take away that little God, the Getchkila as we call it. And now suddenly when they came and said, okay, Rebbe, give us a blessing, they were relying only on one being. Hashem came through. Because when we trust, when we rely on someone, they don't let us down. So friends, the secret behind this secret why does positive thinking work? Because by when we have positive thinking, we're essentially saying to God, Big Boss, I'm trusting you that you got my back. Don't let me down. That's real talk. That's a conversation. But you know, this is all good. It's wonderful in theory. But you know what I mean? In reality, let's be honest, if you're sitting here, you probably have some faith. And yet, anybody in this room ever worry? Anybody? Raise of hands. Some of us, maybe. Oh, you're the real Jews. (laughs) So how do we reconcile? If uh, a believing Jew means to believe that God has my back, and yet we tend to worry. Let's not say it too loud. We obsess with worry. What if, and what could happen, and what might happen? Some of us become literally an art form. If it's impossible to happen, but maybe it might. How do we move to the area of that God has my back? So friends, now I take us to the next step. The secret behind the secret, behind the secret. We need to move from faith to trust. Faith means, yeah, I believe God's up there. God could help. No, trust. God's got my back. It's a whole different conversation. Let's try to figure out how to internalize that a little bit. But that will become the secret, to feel that feeling of well-being and sense of security that we all need and want. You know, they tell a story about the great Blondin. Anybody hear of him? It was a, it was a tightrope walker who walked over the Grand Canyon. I'm sorry, the uh, the Niagara Falls, yes? So he's doing the stunt in the early days of his thing, and he, they put the, the rope, the wire, and everything else, and he's going from one place to the other, and the crowd is cheering. Unbelievable, you know what I mean? Niagara Falls, and he goes across. Yeah, you're the greatest. Then he runs across, unbelievable. Then he pulls out a wheelbarrow. He says, "You think I can go across with this wheelbarrow, this gigantic thing?" I said, "Sure, you can do it." Sure enough, he does it. He runs right across like it's effortlessly. And then he says, "One more question. I'd like someone to sit in the wheelbarrow while I go." Any volunteers? There was a hush. Silence. You could hear the flow of the falls. Friends, we need to work on it. This is easier said than done. But this is what the purpose that I'm trying to do in the next half hour of this talk. Trying to move from faith to trust. To try to get into God's wheelbarrow. Not just God, you're great, and we love you when you love us, and we're your chosen people. But don't make trouble. But actually to get into God's wheelbarrow when there's an issue, when there's a challenge, when there's no challenge. On a regular day, God, I know you got my back. I don't believe in you. I trust you. How do we move to that? They tell another story that there were three women who were praying for a child. They waited years. They went to Miron, the holy gravesite of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, on his, uh, his, his uh, Yurt Yahrzeit, which is a time for great blessings for children especially. The story goes that the next year, one out of the three was answered. We don't know the reasons. People can go and have all the greatest faith and trust, and sometimes it's not destined or not destined for now. We all understand that. But in that particular case, one of the three was answered, and he said, I don't understand. We all prayed. We all came. We all trust. They figured out only one of them went out and bought a baby carriage the next day. Faith to trust. One of the great Hasidic masters chanced upon a small village. There was no rain the whole winter. And there was no rain this spring. And uh, this is in the land of Israel a thousand years ago. to hunger. People are dying. You know I mean, it's terrible. There's no rain. It's a big problem. And they're fasting and they're giving tzedakah. And the holy man says, what's the problem? Just ask God. He's your father in heaven. Talk to him. He says, really? That's all we got to do? We've been doing it. We've been davening. We've been... He says, sure. Tell the whole town tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock in the morning. We should all go out to the field. Men, women, and children. No fasting, no Nothing. We're going to talk to Hashem, open our hearts like children to a father. It's going to rain. It's going to pluck. It's going to pour. They were all excited. Everybody came. Filled up the marketplace. They prayed. They prayed. They talked. Not a cloud in the sky. They said, "Rabbi, it didn't work. We trusted. I said, really? How come that one person brought an umbrella? That's the exercise. That's where it really counts. Let's try to see. And I speak to myself as I speak to you, because this is ultimately what real Judaism is, to move from faith to trust. And by the way, trust doesn't mean inaction at all. Trust doesn't mean, well, God will take care, you know, and I do nothing. No, to the contrary. When I know that God has my back and God is with me, I pull out all the stops. There's no effort that there's no stone unturned because I know I got God behind me. I go with energy and zest and I Do what i got to do to bring a vessel to those blessings. But I know God will come through. So how do we move from faith to trust? And some of you might be thinking, you know, it's all wonderful. It's a nice idea, but how can I really trust him? His track record isn't that great. He's certainly not batting a thousand. We all know of tragedies, painful things. You know, God gives tremendous blessings from time to time. There are illnesses and there are miraculous recoveries, but it doesn't happen every time? How do I go into God's willpower in the off chance that I'll be the one to fall out? It's a big question. Friends, this next section comes from Maimonides in the Guide to the Perplexed, teaching us how do we move from faith to trust when God doesn't seem to always come through? Maimonides says this, I'm going to use sports terminology, it's not his words. We often think of God as the referee. He's really the quarterback. We think of God as a troubleshooter. Life basically runs, God created it, it's all wonderful, nature runs its course, and everything else. But when there's a problem, God steps in. Where in fact, we need to shift our thinking, says Rambam. God is actually the quarterback. He sets up every play. He makes every play. He's actually all the players on the team. The difference is huge. Because if God is the referee, God's job is only crisis intervention. If God's only sitting there waiting in case something goes wrong, then his track record ain't that great. For every ten car accidents, a couple of injuries, and maybe a fatality. You know, it's a decent record, but it's not great. For every ten cases of serious illness, you're going to have a few that may not recover, etc., etc. If he's a referee, he's pretty good. It's pretty good crisis intervention, but is his record 100? Maybe it's 80%, maybe it's 90, you want to be nice, 95? You're getting into his wheelbarrow. I'm not so sure. Says Maimonides, if we need to shift our thinking and realize... God is, in fact, the quarterback. He makes every play. Friends, try to get this. Every breath I take is a gift from him directly to me. Every time I can see and walk and talk and move. My children are born with ten fingers and ten toes. That off-chance accident that I met someone that became my greatest client and saved my practice. The person that I met that was the marriage of my dreams that I happened to meet because I was in an airplane and I love eating a banana. God says, I'm doing that. I have a friend who's a big, big shot doctor. He really you could call him a scientist. He says, there's more going on in one human body than the whole Manhattan. <laughs> we live in New York. Manhattan, right? What's going on in Manhattan? It's, forget about it. There's a trillion moving parts. He says, in one human being, there's more going on than the whole Manhattan. Every moment. This is Maimonides. This is classic Jewish thinking. This is 800, 650 years pre-Balshentov, which takes it even further. Says Maimonides, every molecule, every moment, every breath, every, every moment that I can see and move and talk and walk, God is doing it. He's involved with me full time, real time. And I'm just one multiplied by seven billion. Multiply it by animals and birds and crops and plants and planets and butterflies. And each one, there is no force called nature that runs its own course. Each one God is doing. So if we look at that, suddenly we have a whole different situation. If I want to give God a track record, I think it's 99.999999. Keep going. He's got so much good stuff. Thank God I'm 51 years old. Every day I wake up, I can see, I can breathe. I don't know how many breaths we take a day. Maybe somebody knows. Wow, God is awesome. So when the occasional thing doesn't happen the way I'd like it to happen, I'm talking about someone that's batting virtually a thousand. I've got to give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, there's going to be cases where we don't know the answer, and we might not know until Mashiach comes. That's the unanswerable question that God told Moses, I can't show you my face. Ironically, Kabbalah says some of the greatest souls are given these great tests that are unanswerable. But the day-to-day disappointments, setbacks, I always tell God, give me small tests. (laughs) Don't give me big tests, I'll fail. You hear? I'm on a microphone. But God only gives us the tests that we can handle. If he's batting 99.9999%, if I shift my mindset, I'll talk in a moment how to try to do that, to think of God in real time every moment, which is a fact, it's basic to our faith, and it's simple common sense. How do I breathe? Am I plugged in someplace? Is there a machine? Thank God not. Wow. So then the rear instance, the .0000001, hey, maybe he's got something up his sleeve. You know, if somebody's got a 400 batting average, anybody know baseball? You remember Rod Carew? This was one of our guys. He bat 400. Today, if you do 360, I don't know what the steroids, how it adds up. But, you know, 350, 380, it's unbelievable. Rod Carew, some people said he was a yiddle, by the way. He had a a star and everything else. But everybody's Jewish to us, right? (laughs) We were kids. We decided that Hank Aaron was Jewish. From his mother's mother. (laughs) But Rod Carew was over 400. Imagine somebody's batting 400, 500. I don't know if it ever happened. Every second I bat. Imagine he's batting 999. And then one time he gets up there and it's an important game and he messes it up. What are you thinking? He did it on purpose. He's got a plan. It's a sacrifice fly. He wants to hit after the next guy. I don't know what he wants. He wants the other guy to come up. Whatever. There's a play in action. This is not some Mazel batting 158 who struck out. This is 99.9999 out of an Why the heck did he drop the ball? I don't know. But I'm sure as hell that there's a reason. I give him my trust. Plus, before the negative happens, what are my chances? .00001. I'm getting into the wheelbarrow. It's going to be good. Maimonides spells it out beautifully in his rational, logical way. Let's shift. Let's shift from thinking of God as being in the business of troubleshooting. You know, whenever there's a hurricane, it's an act of God, right? Whenever we just had a tornado on Long Island, apparently I missed it. It's an act of God and all over the media, news outlets where God is not even mentioned you know, from uh, for months on end, suddenly it's an act of God. Everybody becomes religious. How do you think God's thinking to that phrase? There's a hurricane, an act of God. God's looking down. What is he thinking about that expression? He's saying, you know, every time something goes bad, it's an act of God. Kindle it. Every time something goes good, it's an act of God too, he's saying. Every time is a gorgeous, sunny day. Uneventful. It's unbelievable. We're driving in. My wife says, could we even paint such a picture of those clouds? That's me, says God. Every time your children are running around happy and healthy, that's me. Every time your relationship grows, every time you find that extra client, every time, as I said before, you're breathing, you're living, you, you're accomplishing life. That's me too. I'm not just in the hurricane business. So, I try to tell my kids a story every night. A little story, and I come home tired, but you know what I mean? You've got to stay in touch. And I try to make it a habit, even if it's a short story. But then when there's one night, so I, might, I might tell them a story four nights out of the week, and then one night I can't, I've got to leave, I'm too tired. And what will they say, invariably? Tati, you never tell us a story. Aren't we the kids and God is the Tati. We don't notice what he does. We notice the one time that he doesn't. My wife Sarah often points out that in our Chabados, there are two large plaques, a memorial plaque and a Simcha plaque. The memorial plaque is packed. They have to get another one, maybe a third. The Simcha plaque, you're lucky you can get a leaf up there. Now people have Simchas. There's babies, Kenna there's college graduation, there's promotions, there's weddings. Why? What does a Simcha have to do with God? Somehow it doesn't compute. you got to study about it to make the connection. Somebody died. Oh, God. The Rebbe, I think, is saying, based on the Tzemach Tzedek and based on the Zohar and based on the Maimonides that I'm quoting, Tadach, good, good. be positive, it will be good, because you're trusting God and He deserves our trust. How do you go from faith to trust? How do I go from faith to trust? by recognizing he's not the referees, he's the quarterback, he's doing everything, his track record suddenly goes through the roof. Wouldn't it be great to realize not just faith, but trust? Faith means Hashem runs the world, he's in charge, he loves me. Uh uh-uh. He's in my room. He's got my back. How do we get there, though? That's my fourth step. I'm giving you the secret. I'm giving you. I'm giving it myself. we will work on this together. It's a lifelong project, by the way. The secret to the secret to the secret to the secret. The secret is that optimism works. The secret to the secret. Why? Because it means you're trusting God. But really, I still worry, even though I have trust. Not really. The secret beyond that is move from faith. To trust. How do you move from faith to trust? says Maimonides, that's the fourth step. Stop thinking of God as the referee. Recognize God as the quarterback. The last step is how do I do that? How do I begin to in real time? You and I, if you learn Tanya, we're not Sadiks. We're wannabe bainanese, that's what they call it in our community. We're wannabe bainadese. We're we're struggling Jews trying to connect. How do I come to that place? And I suggest it's prayer. To shift our mindset in prayer, rather than it being a duty to being a therapy session with God. Somebody said to me, every day we have to pray. I mean, God's ego problems. Every single day and every five minutes, he creates, he comes, he goes. Same words. And I said to him, I said, Stop thinking about prayer in the abstract. Personalize it. Everything. So when it says he took the people out of Egypt, that's me. We each have our own Egypt and bondage and challenge. God's taking me out of it. When he says that God counts the stars, he knows their names. Why do we say that? He knows your name. He knows what's going on with you. He knows your challenges. He knows the things that you don't even know about yourself. He counts each one because he matters. Yada yada. You can do this on every single page in the prayer book. Hayalisam in Shaol Nafshi. King David sings, "You have raised up my soul from the from falling into Shaol, into the lowest of the low." Don't parrot King David's words. Of course, read those words because they're prophetic, and your soul resonates with them. But say them as your words, either as a thank you or perhaps as a prayer. I'm not going to go through the whole prayer book, but try it. I'm sure you have. This is daily prayer. When I wake up in the morning, instead of saying, oh, I got a daven, I got a daven. I must tell you, the fellow who asked me this question in my community, he loves to study. He comes to every class, JLI, forget about it. Prayers, he's just the same words. He's an intellectual guy, intelligent guy. It's boring. After I told him this, he started showing up to minions. And when we finished the Amida, when we finished the Amida, we're all waiting for him. So suddenly this is therapy did you ever tell the therapist the same thing more than once i think so this is healthy therapy some of us heard a lecture today prozac for the soul this is real and natural sometimes therapy is needed and therapy is usually healthy if it's the right professional but this is therapy coming from within i open my eyes in the morning I have to say modani. I want to say it. Thank you, God, that I could breathe. You gave me another day. I can see. I can walk. I can talk. And every page in the prayer book, sincere, personal. It's me and you. That's it. It's a whole different prayer. Friends, This blessing is what the whole world is looking for. Seven billion people on the planet, people want different things houses, money, cars, boats, vacations. But I think there's one thing that every single person on the planet wants happiness, sense of peace of mind, sense of security, that everything is a okay. The wealthiest people in the world who have everything will travel. to India and back and wherever. They'll fly to the moon, they'll jump out of airplanes to find a little bit of that sense of wholesomeness that it's really okay. And it seems to elude us. Torah, the Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, Nachmanides, Baimanides are telling us here the secret of the secret of the secret of the secret. just going to sum up again the five steps if you want to write them down. The first secret, as per, I'm borrowing from the 2006 film, Tadach, good, good positivity works. Or as they say in that book, thoughts become things. The secret to the secret, step two, but why? Because it means if I'm positive, I trust in God. And if I trust him, he won't let me down. Really? But I have trust in God and I still worry much too much. I need to move from faith to trust. I need to move from a place of general belief in God that he's out there and he could take care of me to trusting, to getting into his willpower. But how can I? Step four, track record isn't so great. My mind is I got to shift my thinking from God as referee, as troubleshooter, to God as quarterback. And how? Through prayer. It's my own suggestion, but I suspect that it's correct. You know, I used to think as a young person, why do we pray every day and three times a day? Now that I have Barsham kids and Enoch only three times a day? You should pray a whole day. <laughs> Gotten you, please, my kids in camp. You should be okay, this one. But on a personal level, friends, let's try this together. You know, in Jewish prayer, we pray together, but we pray alone. We pray as individuals. Yeah, we're all in the same room, but it's really just you and I, you and Hashem. One on one, there's a fellow in our shul. His name is Scott. Scott was a Yom Kippur Jew. I don't think he was even a Yom Kippur Jew until about four years ago. And he showed up to a Shiva minion as number 10. We laid his tefillin for the first time. And about a week later, he showed up and he bought himself a big Chabad palace and tefillin, and he hasn't left since. He's there every single day one of the few Jews who walk around Port Washington, Long Island, with a yarmulke on his head. Scott. And Scott has reason to complain. doesn't matter. But he also has tremendous blessings. And he's there every day, rain or shine, you know. I come in one day, there was a big snowstorm. we diving at 7. Maybe I showed up at 7.38. You know what I mean? There's a snowstorm. I wasn't even going to leave the house. I felt bad. I cleaned up a little bit of the house, put on my boots. I trudged over there. I figured maybe I walk in. There's nobody there. Scott sitting in his corner. And I felt bad. This was early on when he started just coming. I felt like he was going to feel let down. The rabbi didn't come. I walked over and he didn't even look at me. He was busy. And finally I got his attention. And I said, Scott, I'm sorry. He said, Rabbi, it's okay. okay. I'm with Hashem. I said to my yidin, this young kipper, I talked about the idea of making it personal. Even though you're in a room with many people. We're with many people because there are our brothers and sisters and the energy and etc. And we pray for everyone else. But yet, it's one-on-one. So I share the following anecdote. I said, my wife and I were blessed. It's now three years ago to marry off our oldest son. And the wedding was in England. Mekheten is Rabbi Chazan. He's a rabbi of one of the big shuls called Holy Law. We had fun with the Holy Law. Forget about it. And there was a big chuppah, holy law, and all the rabbis in town. And it was really, you know, extraordinary, hundreds of people. But we'll never forget, and some of our own family, a few friends who managed to come. As I'm standing under the chuppah, Sarah's coming down the tall steps from this huge synagogue. And we're kids, we're marrying off our kid, like we almost never believed it could happen. You know what I'm talking about if you've been there. It's unbelievable. It's bigger than you if there ever was such a thing. And our eyes meet. She's on top of the step. There are 400 people. Uh-uh. You ever saw a picture where everything's blurred? It's tunnel vision. That's how we dive in. Tomorrow in the great room, what's it called? The mega room. Tonight, tomorrow. Kinaharit is going to be 1,200 Yidden. Cane Yerbu. And that's wonderful, and we want it in the canter and everything else. But let's take that prayer book, and let's recognize Hashem is talking to you and listening to you, one-on-one, breathing into you, giving you. And all He's saying is, trust me a little bit. And the times when we sometimes feel that He left us alone, maybe. I need to say this, because I don't know who I'm talking to, and there are real tragedies. They happen. We don't believe that they just happen. I said before, Kabbalah tells us God chooses the greatest souls. And I see it in my community. An example is the Alan that I told you about earlier who sailed and who lost a son at the age of 21 to a tragic car accident and remained happy every single day. And his widow, Linda, is running the Kiddush tomorrow in our shul, even as I'm here. She's like the cheerleader of the shul, happy and everything else. I'm sure she cries. We all do. But she has that trust. But God somehow picks those greatest souls. His reasons are beyond us. It says in the Medrash, when Moses asked to see God's face, that was his question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And God says, I can't tell you. All I can tell you is the day will come when you'll know why. And there will be no more bad things. So I need to put that out there. But even those small disappointments are big ones. I missed the bus. I missed the plane. I lost my job. I got another job. I'm battling a small illness. Please, God, or everything or whatever. To understand that if he's batting 999, there's a reason why you hit that ball backwards. You're going to win the game, or at least the series. Sometimes he plays games with us to bring us that love. So, so, friends, let's pay the price for something wonderful. Everything in life has a price and is uh, in return on investment. Nothing easy is good. Nothing good is easy. I, I believe that if I had my way, every home, every refrigerator in America would have a magnet on the door that says nothing easy is good and nothing good is easy. i give an example of marriage. There's nothing greater than a fulfilling marriage and a real marriage, a trusting marriage. You're never alone. But I'm not sure there are many things that are more difficult in certain ways. Nothing more rewarding, but perhaps it takes effort. It's just the way it is. You want to be successful in business, you've got to put in the work. The greatest blessing that 7 billion people are looking for is the secret, to the secret, to the secret, to the secret, to the secret. To put my head on the pillow at night and know Hashem's in the room. I can trust him. Let's try it. It works. Thank you so much. Any thoughts, feedback, questions? The question was that at um, her father's funeral, the first words that came out of her mouth were, Gamzula Tova, this too is it's for the best. And she asking, what's your name? Jamie's asking if it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. It's bottom line, it goes down to faith. It's complicated because generally, at funerals, we don't say Gamzula Tova immediately, and no one's going to, I'm sure God got a kick out of that, because you're unbelievable, you're extraordinary for doing that. But, we have a nuanced relationship with God. It's like a marriage. We love him and we sometimes hate him, and that's okay, meaning meaning we're allowed to quetch. At funerals we say Baruch die in Hamas, we accept, but we sit chiva. We don't make a Bamitzvah out of it, even though God did it. But we cry because in our realm it hurts and we're meant to have a real relationship with God. We're not supposed to just have blind faith. We're supposed to have real faith and trust, which is permeated with feeling. And therefore, as human beings, the way God wired us up when there's a tragedy, we cry and crutch and complain. And guess what? That means you're a real believer. But at the same time, after, after the Shiva, or in your case, you were able to do it quicker. <laughs> as, uh, so then, uh, yes, that's the approach. That Baal really expounded upon that everything is by providence. Hello, we're in providence. Did you realize this? By providence, we're in providence. If this is an important thing to walk away with from these five days is that it's that's providential. So certainly everything that happens to us is minute by minute by God. Certainly if God gives me a test, I can handle the test. If you have a smart kid, you're going to give him an extra test. And... Um, you know the old Yiddish adage that we all carry a little peckle. Anybody here, you know, you know what a peckle, a little baggage of tzuris. We all have it. I tell my people in the show: anybody who doesn't have any tzuris, leave right now. <laughs> if life is perfect, you know you're dead. <laughs> so we all have our peckle. So the Yiddish adage is that if we all got together, we all complain about our peckle. But if we all got together and put our peckle in the middle and we say, pick one, we'd all pick our own. That's the old saying. So so it sounds nice, but you wonder about it, I don't understand. Does that mean that each one's own is the least peckle? There's definitely bigger ones and smaller ones. I mean, look around in life. And the answer is, no, 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 it doesn't mean that mine is the easiest. But each peckle is tailor-made. One person has a financial challenge. But they don't have all the issues of health because God knows they couldn't handle those. And vice versa. We met someone on this retreat who was dealing with an unhealthy child in a serious way. And they're so positive. They're so positive. Perhaps that's beyond everything else that we've learned. That's the thing we're going away with from these five days most because they ended up on our table numerous times and whatever. They've since left, so don't look for them. But so positive. So positive. Really positive, not just putting on a smile. Like I she talked to Sarah, and she started to cry, but she cried with, with optimism. She said, yeah, but you know what? God blessed us in other ways. We don't have worries of parnosso. We don't have worries of livelihood. And somehow we're able to compensate. The reality is that God knows. So, yes, each test is tailor-made, but a test is just that. A test is there to help us rise up to the challenge. I can, I can take it and grow with it, or not. doesn't mean that I'm bad, but it means that God thinks more of me than I think of myself. The Hebrew word for test is what? Nisayon. If you're faced with some tests, pick up a book by and Jungreis called Life is a Test. The Hebrew word for test is called Nisayon. The Hebrew word for miracle is? Nace, the same root, it means a banner, it means to rise up. God wants to lift us beyond what we think we can do. Just like when you go to the gym and your trainer gives you the weights. Talking to a whole Jewish crowd about going to the gym. Did you read about this? <laughs> so so the first day they give you, I don't know, they give you five pounds. Then the next day they give you six and eight and whatever the numbers are and finally, you say, Mr. Trainer, it's not there. You're hurting me. I'm not hurting you, I'm building you. You can't do this. I can't do it. What does the trainer say? Yes, you can. We have a choice. And that's why I say to God, give me small tests. I think He does give me small tests because I'm a small guy. I don't think at the end of the day I have the stamina for the big tests. Maybe thank God for that. But I have my tests. I have my own tailor-made tests. And hopefully, over time, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to realize the tests are not just there for me to have a reason to catch. The tests are like a wave that hits the surfer. This is my moment to become much more than I thought of myself. How did he say to Simban Lion King? You're much more than what you think you are. Hashem is screaming, You're much more than what you have become. You're Mufasa's boy. That's what Hashem is saying to a yid. To every human being. I give you blessings. From time to time A test. I don't know the reasons. Make us stronger. Make us better. Reach greater potential find our connection vis-a-vis this whole conversation, when we can make this relationship real, and we all can do it. It'll grow over time, and it won't happen in a second, but if we start to dive in a little bit in a personal way, God will become our best friend. But we don't want to tell the therapist. We'll tell God. In between the passages, when we're waiting for the cantor to catch up, We'll talk to God in English. So listen here, buddy, you know what I meant with that, right? It makes us deeper, stronger, realer. I mean, I heard such extraordinary lectures in the last three days. I'm sure you did too. God is reality. God is existence. We're part of that. What a great gift to feel that. You'll never worry a day in your life. You know that you matter. How can we get that without a little bit of weights? When everything is good, we just lay back on the beach. There's a little bit of a challenge. and We dig deeper and we overcome it. Ah, how did I do it? Hashem said, because you have an eshamah, you're much bigger than what you think you are. You're a piece of me, You're a chip off the old block. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's like a cardiogram. It doesn't go like this. It goes like this. But over time, it becomes realer. Thank you, friends. Have an amazing Shabbos. Please visit MyJLI.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings and Toracafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.